1: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
2: This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 279 for December 13th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, the crew talk about gifts for archaeologists and our favorite projects of 2023.
3: Hello, everybody. This is your guest host today, Bill White, on the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 279. This is our Christmas edition here, and I've got my splendid co-hosts. We're all in California. This, This show has essentially just degenerated into a west coast california you know conversation thing right
4: degenerate
3: (laughs) well i'm I'm new to california so you know (laughs) that's what it feels like to me i got my co-host heather in california
4: hi y'all
3: and andrew in california hey guys how's it going and i just put that out there blankly right because i still don't know the towns yet like everyone who's from california they totally know oh i'm from that town and i do that and i'm like yeah i don't even it's just yeah. still a, a backwards L-shaped blob to me. It's fine. It's just California.
5: Everyone thinks you surf. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter where you can be from the top of Mount Whitney, and they're like, "Oh, so yeah. you surf?" So
3: you know, just go with it. To all of us, it's essentially a lot like the Barbie movie. And then I moved here, yeah, and I yeah. was like, mm, man, I, "Now I know where they got the inspiration." I yes, it is a lot like that. It is very exactly. much like that.
4: Andrew, I think Andrew, you may be the only native Californian on the podcast, yeah. not just right. yeah. today, but across huh. all of oh our. Uh, yeah. Think wow. about it. Because I think, I don't think Chris is from California. I'm no. from Illinois, no. Chicago suburbs. You're right. from Idaho.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, Chris, Chris is from like the Seattle area. Oh, there right. you go. That's where he grew yeah. up. Yeah.
4: So you're the real Californian.
5: That just adds to the joke, though, because that is the joke about California, that nobody's actually from California. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, I am the lone, the lone native Californian on the, yeah. And I, I wear it with pride, yeah. more or less, kind of, sort of. Yeah.
3: Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah. A,
4: <laughs> a little bit of trivia. My family... Whether probably people don't care, but whatever.
0: I don't care. <laughs> it's I our want to podcast. know. Yeah. I want to hear <laughs> it, man. I'm a historian. I like oh, it. Oh, thank yeah. you.
4: So my ancestors actually came over here on the Oregon Trail to California, and then they were not smart enough to realize how expensive property would be here eventually. Yeah. So they left and went back to cool. Illinois. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> and oh and then I moved here in the late 90s, and now. Yeah. yeah. But if they had stayed here. Exactly. Oh.
5: Exactly. They could have bought all of Huntington Beach. You know, they could yeah, have well, they, they actually
4: didn't. so I've been having fun tracing my lineage and doing this with my dad. It's been a, a fun adventure for the two of us. And we they had property all over Sacramento River Valley. I I'm yeah. just like oh. I'm, Wow. Now, it's not like they had property in Santa Barbara, which oh, would like to me now, but come on. But yeah. it's something-
5: o- only Sa- only
3: Sacramento. Oh. <laughs> I'm just I'm laughing uh, at the picture of Heather's family going back east like you're not going to like it. Like, what yeah. are you turn around. <laughs> yeah. turn around. What are you doing? Not going to like it. There's, there's one wagon going east and a whole train yeah. of people going yes. west like, Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So like the the traffic's great though. The traffic's great on this side on the way. (laughs) They were the first Californians to not get stuck in traffic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. (laughs) Oh man. I'm glad. I'm glad we're having this conversation because I always liked the Christmas episode and I was mentioning we haven't done Christmas episodes in a while. Right. But you know, I, I think it's good. I think we should, you know, bring it back. And so, kind of have a lighthearted conversation. But Mm -hmm. one of the things we were talking about is how fast the month's already going by. And this episode is going to come out on the 12th of December, but we're recording it on the 3rd. And so we were just talking about, man, it's already the 3rd of December. And it seems like, you know, just yesterday Mm -hmm. morning, you know, we're already 72 hours in and boy, we have a lot of stuff on our plates and a lot of things come and do at the end of the year. This is always, this always it was a super intense time in CRM because yeah. January 1st is this like major deadline. And so a lot of projects really have to get done. And, yeah. you know, people are kind of really working hard. Plus, you know, the Christmas, we deserve a time to relax for the holidays, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. It's this gap where all of us kind of take a breather except in CRM. <laughs> that means yeah, you I, just the do everything one. one week earlier. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like I even had to think to myself, should I do the podcast this morning or should I work?
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's so bad at the university here at UC Berkeley, they they literally say that there's, you know, a time when they're just going to turn off the heat in the buildings to force the professors not to work and the, and the grad students not to work. And I, seriously, I see people in there, there's lights on, you know, in those offices during that time, people are still working anyway, I guess, in the yeah, cold burn. or whatever, right? So they're trying to force everyone to get it done. But then that just pushes all of our activities You know, a week earlier. So these first couple weeks of December end up being the super intense time. Yeah. And the other thing we were talking about is pay rates, right? Because yeah, now I get paid once a month, and so you know, the third of December everything looks rosy and awesome. But I was joking about how. The 12 days of Christmas when you work for Cal or the 1st of January, the 1st of February, the 1st of <laughs> March, you know, those are the 12 days for us because we only get paid once a month. And I also remember how uh, when I first started doing cultural resources, my first company, when I was living in Seattle, I also got paid once a month. And it was a, it was a real wake-up call to try to find a way to budget to make it all the way through those 30 days without running out of money. And I also remember when I first moved to Seattle, my wife, she was my, I was dating her then. She also was like trying to find a new job and transitioning from her existing job to a new one. And so there was just this time period that was about six months or so where we were just living on my archaeology crew chief wages. I got paid once a month in Seattle And, you know, she would work for a while and it wouldn't be the job for her. And then she'd quit and find another one. Or she was constantly looking for new jobs and did several different things before she finally found a a position that was, you know, steady and, and, you know, paying a a livable wage. So there was just this time period, I remember, where it was kind of (laughs) like we were joking about it. I was joking with Andrew just now before the show about... That scene where Mickey Mouse and Goofy are cutting one bean into thin, thin <laughs> slices with Donald mm-hmm. Duck and just eating each person gets one slice, you know, of of beans because it it just got so tight there at the end of the month. And I, mm-hmm. I know I'm not the only one. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, all of us have had to adapt in some way. So, yeah. you know, what are some of the adaptations you all have made? to try to make ends meet. Oh man. Like my adaptations always just
5: don't work. And it's funny in the CRM <laughs> world, it was kind of the opposite from like in oh, CRM. I- it,
4: you're, your adaptation is to not work or no. your adaptations don't work. Don't work.
3: Adaptations <laughs> don't work. <laughs> well, I was to say, I thought work what podcast is about.
5: No, so, so <laughs> what happens, they, what's funny is back in my CRM days, I used to be really worried about the winter break, as I'm sure so many of us are, because it's like the jobs narrowed down. You know, sometimes they stop and like, hey, November 15th, and we're yeah. done until whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But- I was lucky enough that I always tended to have like a bunch of overtime or whatever, right around then. So I'd get like this lump, you know, like right before. And so I could make it through the holidays. okay. but now as a college professor, I'm like, Bill, I only get paid once a month. And then to add insult to injury, I usually get paid the 31st. But in Christmas and both my wife and I are college professors. Right. So we get paid like the 22nd of December. So as I was joking before. The stretch through late January is freaking <laughs> terrible. And just yeah. please, nobody come visit me. Nobody talk to me around <laughs> January 25th because it's just, there's nothing. And I try and budget. I'm thoughtful about this kind of stuff, thoughtful mm-hmm. about money. But I'm telling you, I always get hammered yeah. right at the yeah. end. So I will say I've gotten a little better over the years, but it's still just, it's just this unstretchable gulf, you know, because Christmas comes, you spend all your money on Christmas presents or whatever. Yep. You think you're okay. But yeah. that is, it is the toughest time of year for me is the end of January.
4: The, the two things that I would add to the conversation, number one, for those that are managers, please try to be conscious of this, how difficult January or December and January yeah. can be. So when you are scheduling your people, specifically your as-needed's, Make sure that you are there is a lot, just like Andrew said, there's a lot of overtime out there Mm -hmm. and that you spread out the wealth and that you be you don't just be lazy about it. Like you really look and consider that these people are relying on you not just to survive, but to enjoy their holidays. And so, you know, I try to to look at the bigger picture, everybody that's working for us, checking in with them. I care about our as-needed on-call staff as much as I do our full-time and part-time staff. So, And, and we know as a team, we, we know them all well. And so definitely working towards making sure that you're being fair and that you are you know parsing out your, your work appropriately and look at what projects have the potential of, of overtime, what budgets can handle that, and making sure that you're being fair with it. That would be one thing. And then for me, you know, it's not as bad as it used to be. It's, you know, I worked hard to get to a point where it, it, I'm not at the same situation I was 10 years ago. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's some cost saving measures when it comes to gifts like you do have to be. You have to consider your budget and there's, you know, there you always want to give these grand, you know, grand gifts, but I think just being a little bit more creative with your gifts, there's so many people that have that like side gig or creative, you know, giving gifts that you make, or the one thing that I think I wish I had thought of, and I probably should do it now, but I'm just not in the field as much is we all take the most amazing pictures. Because we're in these really cool, you know, areas that we don't, you know, get to see very often or other people wouldn't get to see very often. And making a picture book is a really inexpensive. And we'll talk about that later in the in the podcast. But just looking at creative ways to give gifts and you, you can't you can't ignore the fact that in January you're going to have all these bills to pay that, you know, on credit
3: cards and whatnot. And also so, trying
4: to trying to buy gifts without using your credit card.
3: Yeah, that's huge. Uh I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) And I'm also glad you mentioned the picture book idea. My neighbors went on a family trip to Egypt and one of the, one of the relatives made this great picture book of all their pictures and had it printed off and sent it to the grandparents and they had it at their house. And I was like, man, I can't believe that they, that you can just, format and make these things so easily now because there was just a, it was an online public. Yeah. It's a hardback book with a cover. And, you know, they were saying that each one was, you know, $17 or $27 each or something like that. And, you know, because they got eight or nine, I think they got a discount even more. And so I just thought it was a really cool way to, you know, make that trip memorable and to make a picture album. And it looks like an actual book. Like, I mean, the, the photos in there are just from people's phones, and they were able to just stylishly put it together. So I, I'm glad you said that because I I really wish that I had, well, they didn't really have the technology, but I really wish I had picture books of some of the projects I'd worked on before Yeah, because that would have been, you know, something really great, a great keepsake. Mm-hmm. You know, you were, you were talking about credit cards and everything. The other thing I used to work with this man, John Hall, he still does archaeology. He always saved all of his per diem. He always saved it. He always ate in the hotel room. And I think maybe once per week when we were out, we would go out to dinner. And when I first started doing archaeology, I treated the per diem like, you know, I would take my wife on dates and, you know, get flowers Mm -hmm. and get, you know, extra junk that I didn't need and, and buy all this stuff. And then, you know, after a few years and I worked with him, he was, you know, helping put his wife through college and a, a huge chunk of it was coming from these per diems so she, yeah. he was always interested in taking those jobs out of town because he could get yep. per diem and then he always just ate in the hotel room and i you know i started following that and i've done all kinds of stuff so when i was doing cultural resources all the time that per diem a lot of times became that christmas money for my kids mm-hmm. and the christmas you know travel money so you know that's another huge one if you are getting any per diem it's it's i mean you're going to eat anyway So just find a way to eat at your hotel room. We've already talked about this before on the podcast, but Christmas could be a time that you use that money.
4: Yeah. What what got me through when I was, you know, tech was my side gig. I referee ice hockey and that was a game changer for me. So, you know, you just have to, sometimes you, yeah, you have to supplement and look at creative ways.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because, uh, my, my mom's married to a man who used to umpire Little League games on the weekends. And mm-hmm. so he worked full time and just umpired Little League games and saved the money for years and ended up buying this house, like putting a down payment on it. Of course, he had to, you know, supplement with his own wages and everything. But that was really a big thing for he and his family to get their first house together where his kids had a home and it came yeah. from, you know, being a Little League umpire.
4: If, if anybody has any kind of sports background, even, even if you don't, if you have a sports knowledge, that is a really good way to have a side gig. And you can actually do it anywhere. So you can just yeah. call up Assigners so are always it's just a cross up for, you know, we say archaeologists. It's hard to find archaeologists right now. It's also hard to find sports officials. Yeah.
0: They're,
4: they're at a premium right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, get into that. Sometimes it's just a matter of one day. And then even if you're traveling, like sometimes you're traveling, you can't go home and you stay in a hotel over the weekend, you can, you know, get a lot of games and, and be making money on the weekend as well. Mm
3: -hmm. And with things like basketball and baseball, those little league games and those junior league games are during the week too, sometimes. So if you're not in in the the field, you Mm -hmm. know, you can do a couple of those in the evening. Or also I know that, this is actually one of those many jobs my wife used to do adults, you know, pickleball and volleyball leagues. They just had a a selection of different people. And it was, you know, back then like 15 or $25 per game that they would, that they refereed. And so it was kind of up to you. And there was just this list of people and you'd click on the days that you could do it. And then they would say, okay, show up to this park, you know, you're going to do three volleyball games. And, you know, that was just a, another thing that she did. And she went all over Seattle and, you know, did all kinds of different. You know, they teach you the rules of the game. They do. So you just yeah. kind of they train you. Yeah, watch the volleyball, mm-hmm. watch tennis match, basketball. Like, you know, they'll teach you, and it's it's rec league. So, you know, <laughs> I can see when it's right. little league. Sometimes yeah, the, the parents, the parents, can get kind of nuts out there. Yeah. But I this is not like NCAA football here. Like, your right. kid doesn't have a scholarship. They're nine. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a to foul ball. I'm the umpire. It just <laughs> is a foul ball. Go. To your I I guess, actually, you know, this this is a good time for me to say that we're going to go to break. (laughs) I'll, I'll stay out of my car. Those bad parents, they can go to their car. I don't care. It's a foul. It is. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hey,
2: Archaeology Podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So, are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing, plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ArcpodNetFeed at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
3: 279 nine. We're this is the christmas episode we don't i don't have any of those jingle bell sounds things i just noticed watching commercials that there's always jingle bells whenever they talk about any kind of christmas anything so oh,
4: chris could well, put it in post. yeah when chris yeah.
3: edits this i hope yeah. he adds some jingle bell sounds for our christmas episode so we were talking about you know finances and everything this is that's like an unlimited topic. I I, Mm -hmm. I really wish we could have some kind of more open conversations, maybe not on the podcast or whatever about people's finances, because that is one thing that I'm starting to get more and more attuned to. Maybe it's because my kid's 13 and I'm thinking about college, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like adding up my little pennies and being like, hmm, looks like this kid is going to get his own job. Yeah. But, you know, we were also talking a little bit about using that cash to try to get gifts for folks, thoughtful things, you know, for during Christmas season. And I remember that, that holidays was a major time when I'd ask my family for stuff that I didn't always, I couldn't afford when I was working things that I needed, you know, shoes and stuff was a lot of times or gift certificates to get backpacks. I don't know why, but Washington just eats up your backpack. The next thing you know, you just have a bag Mm -hmm. of water on your back. I I mean, yeah, yeah, that place just consumes them. But now that I've moved a little bit further and I'm I'm the one who's buying gifts for other archaeologists, there's a couple of things I like to get for students, especially when they graduate. I taught this class this last semester that was essentially an attempt to teach everything that I could about being an archaeological field technician Without having to go to field school. So everything except for digging, right? And so they're working on their final project. Their final project is a draft of a California state site form. So that's what they're trying to get done for the last couple of weeks. But when folks finish school and they decide that they want to go on to do archaeology, there's a couple of things that I buy. And one of the things I get them is like a graduating gift is a compass with a mirror. (laughs) Yes. That's a nice
4: professor.
3: Yeah. I taught... Andrew, Oops, you I- never got me one of those. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> get your
4: own job. Get your own goddamn compass. Um, you, know, uh, I, <laughs> uh, you
5: know what when I would uh. add to this? I, what's so funny, Bill, is that was on my list, too, is, is, oh. is, a, is a compass. But I just want to say, along with the mirror, make sure it has an adjustable declination. Declination, Yeah. yeah. And, and that I, I even did a YouTube video on this because people ask me so much. And there's the great Sunto versus Silva debate. Yeah. Ooh, and the short so what's is, that oh so, so they're the two big brands yeah I right? know but mm-hmm. right so the short answer is it's fine if you're a parent getting this for a student or whatever either brand is fine it's the adjustable declination thing that matters yes. it's around 50 yes. bucks give or take but yes. I do find the Sunto brand is nicer overall than the Silva brand
3: mm-hmm. that's
5: all that's what I would uh. say They're they're very similar in price but you know Your mileage may vary there. Yeah, that was my bit.
3: (laughs) yeah. because also the other thing, too, that I want folks, you know, that are getting these compasses to think about is that it's a magnetic compass. And so sometimes some backpacks have that chest strap that has a little magnet on it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if you have it hanging around your neck and you've got Mm -hmm. a backpack with that, maybe you should just keep it in your pocket, right? Like maybe you should not have it around your neck all the time because that little magnet could be interfering with it. And then the other thing, the bubble and I never have gotten clear confirmation like when you're going from sea level and you go to high altitude or if you fly with your compass sometimes it has a bubble in it do you all know how to get that thing out i don't think you can
5: i think you just live with it you know because it's (laughs) because it's a bubble inside
3: the oil that's in there i know and so sometimes if you so if you fly with it sometimes it'll just go back when you get back to sea level it'll just the bubble just absorbs and it goes away maybe someone who's listening this can Hmm. give me more information about like how you can get it out or whatever because i worked with someone who one time was like oh god this thing is rubbish now because it's got a bubble in it and i was kind of like well we're out here and so this is the compass you have i don't know what else to say like we're gonna have to use it and working with other folks you know you got four or five people they all have compasses if yours has a bubble in it i never noticed that it was like an insane amount of difference. I know that if your declination is off, then you really need to adjust it because yeah. you're, you're going to really screw things up and be running into people in the middle of the desert. Cause you're not following I, the right bearing anymore because right. your thing is off. But the bubble one, I don't know. So you're saying it doesn't affect it, or I haven't. I don't know. I've
5: never noticed an effect. Now, I, and I'm—I've gone pretty deep down into the mapping world, but I could be wrong. You know, this would be something new to. I mean, look, my look—I do have a PhD, okay, and it was largely on archaeological survey, okay. Um, but uh, you know, I can be completely and utterly wrong. But in my experience, and I've had some compasses with some, you know, medium bubbles in them, and it didn't seem. To affect the situation, because I would think the compass just works based on magnetism, and the bubble would be immaterial. It just might affect its that its sweep being not as smooth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because it'll be
3: kind of rocky, right? Yeah. When the bubble, it'll push it down and move yeah. it. But once the bubble gets out of the way, then and you can also like move your compass slightly over bit. so yeah. the bubble goes yeah. over, yeah. and then your arrow is still mm-hmm. pretty true. And it, yeah. in
5: seriousness, I've had couples with compasses with bubbles in it, and I've gone long way you know in the jungle and i've gotten to the correct spot with the okay in my one person experience on that it it seemed to be fine but i yeah i would be curious to see if it makes any yeah
3: i I don't know enough i guess right (laughs) and and the other thing like too because it's not just that like sometimes they just they aren't reading right you know i don't know what to say like sometimes the magnet just like the, the needle over years or something like that. It seems to me like sometimes it's off and you'll have one that's kind of brand new and one that's a little bit older and yeah. it's just like one or two degrees off. So I I'm in the habit of kind of my son's in the boy Scouts too. So we've got like just, just stacks of compasses basically right. at this point. Right. Cause I just, they have a bubble. I buy one, then I bring it back to sea level. Then it doesn't, yeah. I'm like, Oh, this thing's good to go, you know, and put it in the backpack. There's like one forever, you know, here you can take one. I take one. Yeah. And then buying them for students too. There's st- I got some that are in the package still, ready for them to graduate. They can take it and go right because once again, I get paid once a month. So yep, <laughs> <laughs> they 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 graduate at the end of a month, and I yeah. won't get paid until you know they'll already be they'll already be out there. Yeah. So the other thing too that I tend to get now and i'm going to get more often because the company for a little while there just like wasn't around or i tried to buy one once and i couldn't find it but the the weather writer or the paper dry clipboards man the ones that has the little raising and lowering lid that you can see through for the class that i taught this last semester i bought like 10 of them and then i put some of the oh another word on the compasses too on amazon there is a wide range of products Yes. Mm -hmm. Those like $14 dollar no. Mirrored compasses are no. not as good. Bad. Those things no. are really crummy. Now mm. they were good for the class because we were only walking about 30 or 40 yards, and it was really about people learning how to set the declination and do all the stuff. But I'm not joking. Like they had bubbles in them. They were like wildly off the 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 clinometer to figure out the angle, the vertical angle was like off by 20, 30 degrees. They're they're really crappy. You mm-hmm. should go with what Andrew was recommending: a Sunto yes. or a Silva. Yep. One of those ones like pay 50, 60, $70 on one of them. Don't buy the $14 one, you know, that I got, I got a bunch of them and they're really crappy, but they'll do the job for this class. I would not want to have that for my actual career. Now, on the other hand, Amazon does have a bunch of those kind of weather writer clipboard type things. And if you you know, check it out, we'll try to put links to these things in the show notes but if you do look on Amazon there is a huge range and those ones didn't seem like the quality was that bad to get the cheaper mm. you know $20 one over the $40 but I'm telling you I buy those they over time sadly the plastic gets brittle and it kind of cracks so I you know you do have to keep buying them especially if you're using them every single day but the clipboard I know we're moving into uh, Chris is probably going to you know freak out when he hears that I'm even recommending a clipboard for paper right that you would even in no any way, way need paper in the future. I'm but I'm with you, Bill. A clipboard is great. A $20 clip solid, you know, yes. still, cool clipboard. is fantastic. Still a role. there's still a
4: roll. There's still a roll. Yeah,
3: yeah sure. exactly. I make yeah. all my students get one. Come on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So those are the two things that for Christmas, if I'm giving mm-hmm. them out to presents to archaeologists or whatever, or if you're thinking about getting a present for another archaeologist, those are two things that you should definitely think about. I mean, I use them all the time. I've been using them for 15, 20 years. Both of those items, you know, they're really good archaeology tools.
4: Yep. Another compass is the Brunton. Yes. Yeah. They're good. They do tend to be pretty pricey, but uh, But they are amazing. But but super expensive. Yeah. But if you want to get to that next level, mom and dad want to get you a really nice one, but get them like some kind of carrier or something. So that they don't leave it on some rock somewhere on a mm-hmm. field day. That's never fun. So I have one, it's, I have three, but I guess we'll, should we just give one each and go around or just, so nah. I'll give all three. Oh no, yeah. Right go now. ahead and three on us. We okay. can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the one was the, the picture book. We're going to put the link in, in the show notes. I'll give a few suggestions, but you can be paying, like Bill said, as little as 1199 wow. for these books. And and then they can go up from there. But these are books that you don't even have to be creative if you're not creative and you can go like two different ways. You can say, OK, you know what? People may not. There's mom and dad and grandma and grandpa that are going to want to see you in the pictures. But maybe there's friends that you really want to give a nice gift to. And you could take yourself out. And it's just a scenery book of some some like we do. We do some surveys in some pretty cool areas that other people would never even get these shots. Right. And sometimes we just get these shots by accident. So you'd be surprised, even if you're not somebody who's always taking those like scenery shots, you may have some pretty good ones in there and that would be something. And then you don't even have to be creative. Like I said, you can just give the pictures to these programs and they will create them for you they'll create kind of a mosaic they'll they'll uh format them and put them in different you know interesting formats (laughs) and uh different sizes and stuff and then if you want you can put little captions on it but you can get as creative or not as you want to that's an easy gift i would say you need to kind of i would do that a couple weeks before christmas also unless you're shipping maybe even a little bit earlier than that but that is a good gift my next gift is rei i mean i'm sure there's others that that have these classes but i think rei is really great if you know we talk about this on the podcast quite a bit where people are not unfortunately not everyone has andrew or bill as their professor and they're not learning the skills that they need to learn (laughs) in order to go into the field So one, you know, these, they had these great, like I'm right now on their site, they have a background, a backcountry navigation and map and compass class. They have winter navigation with a map and compass. They have just a regular map and compass workshop. And these range from about $30 per class to $80 per class. So if you, if you hear or maybe even your your um, giftee is um, just starting out and, you know, it doesn't hurt. So our navigation, the way we, there's different types of navigation. So what an archaeologist does is different than, let's say, military and how they navigate. But understanding and having a good practice with a compass and maps will help you no matter what situation you need navigation for. So that I think is another good gift and it's not expensive. And then for the ladies, sorry, men, but I, ha- I have to do it because I'm the only lady on the podcast. So for the ladies, I found out there is a new, I think they're a few years old, but there's this company called Nara. I think it's, it's spelled G-N-A-R-A. And they have a, what do they call it? They have a certain name for it, it is called She Fly Go There Pant. It is a pair of field pants. They're stretchy, they're made out of that nice material that you do not have to drop your drawers to go to the bathroom in the great outdoors. And there's some pretty good reviews on it. So that might be a good option for a gift for your female archeologist.
5: And those are my three. I love it. Cool. Yeah. Those are good. And Heather, I love the REI thing, too. I didn't I didn't realize that, you know, and there's so many students now who've taken so many classes online. Like I've actually had a student who's in my Saturday, my field class. She had her she has her B.A., but it was entirely online. She got in touch with me a while back and she was like, I want some on ground experience. So she's taking the on ground classes just to get the experience. Yeah, yeah, and I think the REI thing can do that same thing for people. It's like no, it's you need in to- person.
4: Yeah. yeah, they take you out and teach you. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. and I'm sure there's other options, but REI. I mean, they're pretty. Their classes are pretty good. Yeah, and they're taught by people who are true outdoors people. Totally. Yeah,
3: yeah, I yeah think and, and, and they have a lot of stores, right? So you yeah, know, they do. Yeah, fifty percent at least of us live within a mm-hmm. you know range of an REI yeah. store. Yeah.
4: I actually worked on a project where we were taught how to repel oh, right because on. we had to repel in a certain area. So, which is just, you know, liability central, but yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but we did have to do it. And so cool. that was really fun, but that might be an option. You can probably, I would say 50% at least of archaeologists are pretty good or outdoors people. And even if it's not practical, to every archaeology project it certainly would be a fun class too so totally like repelling classes and that sort of thing would be i think yeah. would be a great gift
3: yeah well and right. i remember when i lived in tucson too our wilderness first aid class was pretty much through rei mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah okay
5: so for i guess me i gotta do i gotta do my uh, my three man so uh yeah, I, I think Heather's is great. I think, Bill, the Compass is great. I had that on here. Oh, just to the listeners, the difference between this Asunto and a Silva, those are around the $50 world, a Brunton Compass, which are awesome. God, I think they've got to be $300 or in that realm. I will yes. say they exude quality. I remember yes. my Brunton Compass, it had a leather pack, like a little leather envelope sort of that it came in and i swear to god that was the thickest most supple like they killed a major cow for that leather so uh yeah <laughs> it will last
4: you like, your whole career a it just, yeah, it last quality
5: it, it felt yeah. like it was made by a cobbler in in London in Austria. like 1910. Yeah, it, it's right. like was so nice. <laughs> just so you know, other things on my list. I just have sort of a grab bag of things. These these tend to be a little bit more expensive, but like like a munsell book is kind of nice to have. Mm-hmm. But they they're We're about two hundred. Yeah, two hundred yeah. or so. But man,
3: you can buy the nice Yep. Yeah, you can get individual sheets, 10 and 7.5. Yeah. Those yep. are two That's solid right. pages. Oh my two god. That's a cheaper way are. to go.
5: Yeah, for yeah. those that, you know, any archaeologist's been working out for a while, you know what it's like if you just have your own. You don't have to deal with it. Yeah. I even I would even let this is another one for sort of the advanced archaeologists who who would drive to a site, you know, in their truck. A breaker bar. You like, uh, yeah, you don't need a breaker bar until you're the
3: hero who has a yeah. breaker bar.
4: Yeah. That's under 50. Yeah, yeah definitely that
3: even is under, under 50. 40. Yeah. yeah. Steel a, bar. A it's nice... called in a Home Depot thing. It's called a San Angelo bar. Right. So if, you, if you type in yeah. Breaker Bar, Home Depot doesn't know what it is. It's yeah. called a San right. Angelo bar is its That's real name. Right.
5: But the big one, the bigger the bet. Get the big ass, the you know. Pointy
4: on one side and flat, flat on the, other. On the yeah. other. Yeah, And those can not be ground, by the way. You can sharpen mm-hmm. those.
5: Yeah. Yep. Whoa. Those, those are just, it's like, you will use it once every three years, but damn when you do, yeah. uh, uh,
4: depending on where you work, you yeah, no, <laughs> There'll
5: be a point where you then be use it all the time. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, let's see, is, is that, is that my three? Oh, I, I did have one more. This is, this is another one that comes in handy, like, like a little sunshade, like a wiki up like sunshade. There is, Whoa, there, cool. there, is yes. there is cheap that's as like, idea. yeah, for, from, from your home depot or whatever the cheapest ones were about 60 bucks they do fall apart over time but the last for a while but and if you guys get it they're about you know they're about six six feet by six feet or so you know maybe eight feet by eight feet anything in that range works fine it's just those sun shades that pop up you know four legs the more the more you spend the higher quality it'll be but those yeah. are nice you know it's you're in an area
4: you can guarantee that your gifty will be hated by everybody else in the field. We're sitting under a sunshade, and everybody else is sweating it out. But you know, whatever, yeah.
5: dude. If, but if you're in a place where you're just working, like day to day, week by week,
3: it's always sunny. You know, it's nice yeah. to just be able to bust one of those out every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, those are those are good cho- Yeah, because yeah. if you can bring those things with you, mm-hmm. I mean, those because they are, like you said, brittle. They do break, like the plastic joints on them snap yeah. right so yeah, that's the always legs, this weakness that's the legs the weakness have, have such crappy metal that they when once they bend they you know they yeah. don't hold but yeah so I'm all, it's always like do you get the cheapy knowing that at the end of the project that's pretty much the end of it or do you try to cobble them together for a while i don't know i'm yep. kind of on the like try to get the better one and cobble it along i would to not throw away a metal and you know not yeah. throw yet another thing away but then you spend a whole bunch of time drilling and using wire to Rebuild these plastic (laughs) joints to build, but I mean, either which way, if you got them, you got them. You know what I'm saying? And and, and if you if you have the option to be out of the sun, uh, in a place like Arizona or the Virgin Islands, do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, those are those are quite a few options. You know, those are I think those are pretty good, affordable, you know, choices that are really useful for archaeologists. I think this is also a good time for us to take a short break, and we'll come back with our last segment. Okay, welcome back. We're in the final segment of episode 279 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. We just talked about great holiday gifts for folks to use out in the field, but now, you know, maybe it's it's we're getting close to the end of the year. I think it might be a good time for us to kind of talk about some of the projects or some of the sites that we heard about or worked on, or maybe some of the things that we did in the last year. That you know we really like, we're inspired. We want to learn more, and that they were really interesting, and we're proud of doing them. Andrew has a site or a project he wants to talk about. I'll let him go first. Sure. Um, so I
5: reflected and thought about this a little bit, and I have to be honest. For for this year, the favorite project that I was a part of was actually the El Pilar project, which is in Belize. Right. So. And the reason for this is many fold, but the short backstory is the El Pilar is a large Maya site in Belize. It's actually on the Belize Guatemala border, right? Where most of it's in Belize, but some of it's in Guatemala. And it does have that appeal of a huge Maya city in the jungle, right? That whole thing, a bit difficult to get to, right? All that, but It was the very first project that I worked on in 1993. The very first time I ever dug a one by one was on the LPLR project. But of course, since then, since being a field school student, I went onward. I worked on different things and, you know, just continued my career in different places at different times. But in the last handful of years, I got in touch with the original archaeologist, Annabelle Ford, who works at LPLR. And I've been working with her once a week. I go up to Santa Barbara and I've been working on the El Pilar material. And I think we all know as archaeologists, you know, there's there's certain things that we just do day to day or week by week. They're part of the job and they're still fun and they're still worthwhile and they still make us feel good. But every so often you get to work on a project where, man, it's just inspiring. You know, and that's what the LPLR project is for me. It's I look forward to my once a week when I go. And a lot of the times it's just real minutiae stuff in the lab, right? Dealing with the old artifacts from from the past like two decades or so of research has been done there. Dealing with the old paperwork, the maps. It's really bringing everything together to tell the story of LPLR. So as I get to do it, I get to like reminisce every so often. I'll find a piece of paperwork that I filled out in like 1996, you know, like, it's just, it's a time where I can let my mind wander and really just get the joy from archeology, span you know, and just be like, wow, I'm working on a classic period Maya site. This is awesome. And even again, even though I'm just sitting at a table, like, Sorting some shirts, or, or I'm on a computer, like going through some paperwork. I still there's that connection of that wonder and that joy, right? The reason we got into this stuff in the first place. So that's my vote. Just working on the research aspect of the LPLR project from Belize. There you go. That's mine, man. That's awesome. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean those those kind of projects. They're ultra rare to you know, come across and yeah. it's really cool that you had fond memories and then you come back and you still actually have those same memories. Right.
5: Yeah. It's funny. And I'm like a different person, you know, cause it's been like 20 <laughs> years. It is. its is. I'm like yeah. an old man looking at a young man's thing and going, Oh, he didn't do too bad. You know, serious. It's, it's very interesting.
3: All right. I'm, I, I mean, I hope you're talking about your other People's paperwork, not just your own, right? Like, oh, they're all rubbish. But wow, who oh, yeah, no. look, yeah, no, all at the rest this genius of genius here, <laughs> no. you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> no. No.
4: Uh, no, Bill, you are talking about Andrew, right? Oh,
3: yeah, I know, and he's in okay. charge of grading people's papers. And- I mean, yeah. mine were the best. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no they
5: weren't. In, in seriousness, one one thing that really made me happy is, as a whole, when I look through these were my fellow students, right? I'm like, man, all this stuff is really good. We've really tried, you know. Yeah. Like you can see a bunch of young people who really gave it their best shot so i'm i'm very proud of that group of people who did that stuff at that time so it's 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 very enjoyable
3: yeah that's that's really cool to Mm -hmm. see that and to hear that too the the one that i'm thinking of right now is we just finished the last year of excavations at a state little princess in the virgin islands the society of black archaeologists and i and this was you know the fourth year and It wasn't the easiest year, but we had some great, you know, discoveries. It was worth it to go back for yet another year. And then, you know, just to think about the over the last few years, that was a project that we started before the pandemic. And it was like when the pandemic began and we couldn't go to the field anymore, we were kind of like, so are we ever going to finish this thing? I mean, we had plans to come back and do things, but we didn't know for two years if we were ever going to come back and if that was going to be it. But fortunately, we were able to come back last year and finish up. This year, and so it's four years of work, and some of the folks who worked on the project, they went into CRM, they went and got graduate degrees, not because it's a field school, not all the people went into archaeology, but it's really cool to see that folks who started in the very beginning are now like ABD, almost going to finish their dissertation, and it came from that project. But also just really cool to, you know, work with people that I like, that I had a great time with my colleagues there and, you know, that we're still buddies and it didn't break everything to pieces just by mm-hmm. hanging out with each other in the you know Caribbean sun for days and <laughs> days. Right. That we still like each other after four years. Just I, I haven't been on a project like that before where folks grew and enjoyed it and we moved through and we found a lot of really great stuff and you know connected with people that I'll have friends for as long as they'll have me and just you know it's the kind of project like you were saying that is why I got into archaeology and why I like doing it and so those are that's just kind of a bittersweet end to this project I don't know what the next thing is going to bring. I know that I won't be running a field school, but <laughs> I'll work on someone else's field school. I'll work with on Andrew's field school, but I don't know about me <laughs> no, running it anymore, man. No, i work on yours. Okay. No, I work on yours. It's a lot. It's a lot. You it know? Is. And I'm also kind of realizing that I should transition more to like having that kind of thing happen in class and then just hire students to do survey, mm-hmm. you know, so that it's a job
5: Yeah, because totally it gets more mileage than the
3: field yeah. school thing. And yeah. anyway, just really, that's the project that I think of in 2023 that, you know, that's the one that I'm proud of and that I enjoyed being on. Totally. That's cool. Pulls at the heartstrings mm-hmm. in the best possible Aww. manner. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. those. It's yeah. great. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, for me, um, it's tough from a CRM perspective. I think this we're we we have, you know, confidentiality issues, so I can't share probably my my most favorite, but I will say that it's one experience that I had where there was a site that you know, I think a lot of people have put in their mind as that's where they would like to work and it's in the Santa Barbara Channel region and I was very excited to have the opportunity that there was a project or a construction going on within this known site. And so being able to do a data recovery, I'm just trying to be careful, but but being, a, being able to do a data recovery. And I think that it was a really good lesson in as archaeologists, when we build up certain sites in our head as being the end all be all of what we're going to you know, that we're going to be, experience something really neat. And it ended up being a real dud. <laughs> so, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because... Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't end up being exciting at all. Like there was yeah. so much disturbance. It was not in an area where which is good. That's a good thing. Right. For right. the Resource. That's a good thing. But I, here I had built this up in my head because it's <laughs> one of the premier sites anywhere. I mean, like people would give their left arm to work on this site right. and it literally came out. Like I
5: I (laughs) love that story, though. I love it. We've all done it. Oh, my God. What a bummer,
4: though. But then we had a surprise. It was just one of those. It was just a residential project. And it was within a site. Uh, It's a very large site, coastal site in Santa Barbara County. And Really, there's been a lot of work done there. And so it was kind of going through the motions, not on my end, but for people in general, just the agency and everything. Oh, yeah, I got to do a data recovery. And it was a supplemental data recovery. Right. Because there's so much information known. But we actually found some amazing stuff there. And so I think it's a really good it's, it's a. It's a good reminder that you never know what you're going to come across. We had a couple of years ago, we had another like unbelievable, unbelievable find, which eventually I'll publish on. And I think it's going to be incredible. It really will add to the to the area's knowledge. But it's, you know, it's just a reminder. Don't don't just have in your head what you think something's going to be. And, you know, did we still learn something from that project that was kind of a dead? we did because what isn't there is still contributing. Exactly. Right. So um, it's just not that sexy stuff. But then a few months earlier I had had gotten that sexy type projects that uh, I had not expected. So, you know, I think that always keeping your mind open and and never assuming and that is one thing especially with data recovery is that you know you just you you can't assume that you're going to find something especially when you're working in a known site you always have to come in fresh with no expectations although as people we're going to do that but try to keep them at bay because it will bias the way you work so Mm -hmm. but anyway so that's my story
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, it's great to kind of have this, I think we'll have one more episode before the end of the year, but it's good to kind of see this thing, you know, move full circle. I'll, you know, understanding that it's never super easy to be an archaeologist, but there is reasons why we're doing it. And in every year, you know, since I've been doing this, there's always been some kind of museum I went to or some kind of, you know, thing I read that I heard about a site that I had no idea about that I was super interested in, or even when I was doing archeology, span I was out in the field, I actually was in a site and we found really cool stuff. So there's just always more things to motivate you to keep going on further. And, uh, you know, the, the tools that you have out there, the things that you get for archeologists, their, their tools, their presence, but they also help maintain that that dream, that whole goal of us finding these really cool sites, working at really cool places, and just keeping it moving forward. And I, I do think that at the end of the day, that's why we're doing all that stuff because we're the ones who really want to be there. We want to make those discoveries, and it's not going to happen if you're not in the right place. Which is why you, you know, stick with archaeology until you're you're done doing it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that this is a, a good place to end the show. I appreciate everyone listening uh, till the end of the show. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have any more Christmas present suggestions, right? Because we don't know all the stuff that exists out there. What are you using in the field and what do you enjoy? What did you like getting as a present? And what do you like to give to other people for the holidays as a gift? I think this is a good way to end here. So I'm just yeah. going to say goodbye until the next episode. See you guys next time.
4: <laughs> goodbye.
3: I never
5: know how to end it. I know. It's always <laughs> me, too. It's so tough.
2: That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.comslash CRM Arc Podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question in a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at Network.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye.